Hear this word, O house of Israel. This lament I take up concerning you. Fallen is the virgin Israel, never to rise again, deserted in her own land, no one to lift her up. This is what the sovereign Lord says. The city that marches out a thousand strong for Israel will have only a hundred left. The town that marches out a hundred strong will have only ten left. This is what the Lord says to the house of Israel. Seek me and live. Do not seek Bethel. Do not go to Gilgal. Do not journey to Beersheba, for Gilgal will surely go into exile, and Bethel will be reduced to nothing. Seek the Lord and live, or he will sweep through the house of Joseph like a fire. It will devour, and Bethel will have no one to quench it. You who turn justice into bitterness and cast righteousness to the ground. He who made the Pleiades and Orion, who turns blackness into dawn and darkest darkens day into night, who calls for, for the waters of the sea and pours them out over the face of the land. The Lord is his name. He flashes destruction on the stronghold and brings the fortified city to ruin. You hate the one who reproves in court and despise him who tells the truth. You trample on the poor and force them to give you grain. Therefore, though you have built stone mansions, you will not live in them. Though you have planted lush vineyards, you will not drink their wine. For I know how many are your offenses and how great your sins. You oppress the righteous and take bribes, and you deprive the poor of justice in the courts. Therefore, the prudent man keeps quiet in such times, for the times are evil. Seek good, not evil, that you may live. Then the Lord God Almighty will be with you, just as you say he is. Hate evil, love good. Maintain justice in the courts. Perhaps the Lord God Almighty will have mercy on the remnant of Joseph. Therefore, this is what the Lord, the Lord God Almighty says. There will be wailing in all the streets and cries of anguish in every public square. The farmers will be summoned to weep, and the mourners will to wail. There will be wailing in all the vineyards, for I will pass through your midst, says the Lord. Okay, let us pray and then think about uh, this book of Amos and where it takes us as Christians. Let us pray. Lord, we thank you for this day that we have now. Uh, to think carefully about your word and uh, we pray that we would understand something of your character and your call for us uh, to live as your faithful people. We pray that you'd help us to benefit from this time and we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, there's a verse in Ecclesiastes which I find helps with life balance. It says... There is a time for everything. It's in your outline there if you're following along. There is a time for everything and a season for every activity under heaven. A time to weep and a time to laugh. A time to mourn and a time to dance. I really appreciate the life balance that goes with those verses. It feels like I get permission to realise that life's not always a barrel of laughs, is it? It's not always uh, a time to have jokes. And we don't even feel, have to feel like when we come to church that, uh, you know, we're on high all the time. There are times to laugh 
And sometimes these moments happen, you know, without even planning them, isn't it? We, we laugh when think something's spontaneous and it happens to us or we, we cry at times when we're overwhelmed. We don't plan to do these things, they just happen to us. And then there's times to dance as well. But there are other times when it's appropriate for us to weep and mourn, to bawl our eyes out. Uh, there seems to be a time for everything. Well, as we read uh, Amos chapter 5, the tone of this passage is one where uh, it's a time to cry. Uh, in chapter 5, verse 1, we read, Hear this word, O house of Israel, this lament I take up concerning you. Fallen is virgin Israel, never to rise again, deserted in her own land, with no one to lift her up. And so the tone of Amos at the start is one of deep sadness and regret. A lament or a dirge is sung uh, when somebody's died. It's at a funeral. And the reason why this uh, Amos is actually saying he can sing a lament is because even though the nation looks like it's okay, uh, it is as good as dead as far as he's concerned because of what's coming next. But this lament doesn't just come out of nowhere. It's not as though Israel was just walking along, minding her own business, uh, when all of a sudden some bad news has come across her path. No, the lament comes because of past failures. It can be traced back to what she has done and what she shouldn't have done. And God has now called Amos to deliver this prophecy about Israel's unfaithfulness. Amos is described in chapter 1 as a shepherd, uh, but he's not the average humble lowly shepherd. He's, he's actually a bit different. The word describing him is a, he's a sheep breeder. He's a grazier. Uh, and he's higher up the pecking order, if I could put it that way, than the average humble shepherd. And he's literate. He's good with his words and he's familiar with what's going on in Israel and the political situation. And he's been given a revelation from God. Uh, in chapter 3, we're told that the Lord reveals his plans to his servants, the prophets, that he doesn't do anything without revealing his plans to his servants, the prophets. And Amos makes the point that since the sovereign Lord has spoken, who can but prophesy? He's saying he's got a message to tell and he's compelled to tell it. But not everybody wanted to hear what Amos had to say. He actually lived in a time some 750 years before Jesus. He lived during the reign of King Jeroboam II. This was a little bit after the time of uh, King David, then King Solomon, when the nation had split in two and you had uh, Israel up the north and Judah at the south, and they were ruled by different kings. Jeroboam II uh, wasn't content to, uh, I guess, come under the the pathway that God had provided for people to maintain their relationship with him through the temple and the sacrificial system. He set up his own uh, shrines in places like Bethel and Gilgal and he had his own priesthood as well. So he wasn't really interested in serving God on God's terms. One of his priests was a man called Amaziah and as Amos spoke the words of this prophecy, Amaziah didn't want to know about it. 
And we can pick up something of this exchange between Amos and Amaziah in chapter 7. So if you've got Amos open to you before you, turn to chapter 7 and we'll read from verse 10 to 17. We read chapter 7 of Amos, verse 10. Then Amaziah, the priest of Bethel, sent a message to Jeroboam, king of Israel. Amos is raising a conspiracy against you in the very heart of Israel. The land cannot bear all his words. For this is what Amos is saying. Jeroboam will die by the sword and Israel will surely go into exile, away from their native land. Then Amaziah said to Amos, Get out, you seer, go back to the land of Judah. Earn your bread there and do your prophesying there. Don't prophesy anymore at Bethel because this is the king's sanctuary and the temple of the kingdom. Amos answered Amaziah, I was neither a prophet nor a prophet's son, but I was a shepherd and I also took care of sycamore fig trees. But the Lord took me from tending the flock and said to me, Go, prophesy to my people Israel. This prophecy of Amos comes to Israel uh, during the good times. Uh, we learn from 2 Kings 14 that Jeroboam II was successful in some of his campaigns against the other nations, uh, against Syria, against nations to uh, the east. He'd expanded the borders to such a size that uh, they were larger than they were even in the day of Solomon. Israel knew her best years of prosperity and peace under Jeroboam II. They had rest from their enemies and there was an increase in trade. Uh, to put it in expressions of today, they were on clover. Things were going pretty well. This was the, the golden sort of time for Israel. But there were many problems that led up to this rebuke from Amos the prophet. Well, what were the problems that God once addressed? How did things come to this brink of disaster? And what can we take away from their mistakes? How can we see some of their blunders uh, and learn to respond to God in the right way from this message? Well, as I've noted above, this lament that Amos brings to the people is sad. He's saying, I'm bringing this lament. And it would come to them as a surprise because right when they hear it, things are going pretty good in the land, what they thought were pretty good anyway. It'd be such a surprise to hear it. It'd be like opening up the newspaper for ourselves and seeing that our own obituary was in the newspaper. It would come as a shock. What's that doing there? But there are reasons given for this lament that virgin Israel, she's, she hasn't reached her life potential and she's about to go down. Reasons are given in verse 3. This is what the Sovereign Lord says. The city that marches out a thousand strong for Israel will only have 100 left. The town that marches out a hundred strong will only have ten left. The focus isn't so much on the idea that there's going to be some people left, but they're being decimated. Uh, they've got their armies that'll go out and there'll only be ten percent remaining. The way that this is going to happen isn't exactly spelt out, not yet, but the writing's on the wall. The things are grim. But even at this point, this eleventh hour, uh, Israel is still challenged to take God seriously and to turn back to God. And we see that in verse 4 through to 7. 
This is what the Lord says to the house of Israel. Seek me and live. Do not seek Bethel. Do not go to Gilgal. Do not journey to Beersheba. For Gilgal will surely go into exile and Bethel will be reduced to nothing. Seek the Lord and live. Or he will sweep through the house of Joseph like a fire. It will devour and Bethel will have none to quench it, no one to quench it. You who turn justice into bitterness and cast the righteous, cast righteousness to the ground. One of their failures was that they claimed and wanted to worship God in their own way, not the way that God had established. Instead of worshiping the Lord at Jerusalem, they used other shrines, places like Bethel, Gilgal, and Beersheba, where they decided they'd go and worship God. It seems that those places might have been uh, centres for other idolatry as well. Not a lot's mentioned in Amos about other idolatry. But the problem also was that they weren't really seeking God with all their heart. They offered lip service to God. They went through their religious rituals, uh, but they didn't really love God. And they showed that in their attitude not to come to God in the way he provided They liked the idea that they were his covenant people. They liked the idea that somehow uh, they could think of themselves as gods and therefore they thought of themselves as secure. But they'd actually treated God with contempt in their obedience to him and in the way they responded to his word. And we see that from their unjust practices. And we'll see a bit more of that as we go. But there was not going to be any point in trying to seek God. If they were going to seek God, uh, they needed to take God seriously from the heart, but not go to those shrines. There was no point in going to those shrines because those places were going to become uh, sacked. They were going to be up in flames pretty soon. There was no point in going there. But even now, they're called back to worship God, to come to him on his own terms. In the old covenant, God provided the temple and the sacrificial system and God's priest as a means of dealing with people's sins to show them if they were going to enjoy forgiveness, they had to go through the process that God had established. In the new covenant, Jesus is the true temple. He's the great high priest. He's the one who offers the perfect sacrifice for our sins and he's the one who can bring us to God clothed in the righteousness of Christ. So Jesus is the one who completes what we need to come into God's presence and he's the only way we can come to God. Some people make the same mistake today. Uh, In a scripture class uh, semi-recently, the school teacher that was there listening to what I was saying, she said, so you're saying the only way to get right with God is through Jesus? Well, the short answer is I didn't say that. That's what Jesus said. He says, I'm the way. The truth and the life, no one comes to the Father except through me. Uh, if she had a criticism, well, it wasn't to so much me, it's, it's what Jesus has taught. People can't come to God on their own terms, in their own righteousness. The only way we can come to God is through Jesus. Well, the Israelites had set aside God's terms for which they could approach God. And God's now reminding them of who they're dealing with in verses 8 through to 9. He who made the stars, the Pleiades and Orion, who turns blackness into dawn, 
and darkens day into night, who calls for the waters of the sea and pours them out over the face of the land. The Lord is his name. He flashes destruction on the stronghold and brings the fortified city to ruin. And the point here is, even though they're the ones who wanted to uh, change justice into wormwood, we're told that it says, you who turn justice into bitterness, they want to change justice and turn it into something bitter. They're the ones who uh, wanted to bribe judges uh, and oppress the poor. Well, even though they've got a few changes that they like to make, what we learn from these verses is that God makes a few changes as well. He turns the blackness into dawn, the, the night into day. He's the one who sets the waters in place and brings rain over the land. He's the one who can also bring judgment on the people who rebel against him. The point is that people can't trifle with God. He's the creator and we're the creatures. It's his universe and he's the one who's free to run it how he chooses. God's going to bring a righteous judgment upon this people, Israel, for their failure to carry out their side of the covenant with him. It's a prior arrangement that's been made. It was made back earlier when God had rescued his people out of slavery in Egypt, who brought them to a mountain, Mount Sinai, and invited them to be his people and for they to be his God. He brought the words of his uh, laws and the book of the covenant to the people's attention through Moses. And the people said, everything the Lord has said, we will do. That's back in Exodus 24. And God promised them if they did live as his people, uh, they would experience life and blessing. But if they um, forsook him, if they uh, walked away from him, then they would experience his covenant curses. But the challenge for God's people was to love God and to serve him as their God and to be his faithful people. And they were challenged to choose life with God. And we pick that up in Deuteronomy chapter 30, verses 11 through to 20. So if you'd want to turn to that, you'll find that on page 147 in the Red Pew Bible. This is where God challenges his people to actually love him and live his way. So page 147, and it's Deuteronomy chapter 30, and we'll pick it up at verse 11. Moses says to the people, Now what I am commanding you today is not too difficult for you or beyond your reach. It's not up in heaven, so that you have to ask, who will ascend into heaven to get it and proclaim it to us so we may obey it? Nor is it beyond the sea, so that you have to ask, who will cross the sea and get it and proclaim it to us so we may obey it? No, the word is very near you. It is in your mouth and in your heart, so you may obey it. See, I set before you today life and prosperity death and destruction for i command you today to love the lord your god to walk in his ways and to keep his commands decrees and laws 
then you will live and increase and the Lord your God will bless you in the land you are entering to possess. But if your heart turns away and you are not obedient, if you are drawn away to bow down to other gods and worship then, I declare to you this day that you certainly will be destroyed. You will certainly be destroyed. You will not live long in the land you are crossing the Jordan to enter and possess. This day I call heaven and earth as witness against you that I have set before you life and death, blessings and curses. Now choose life so that you and your children may live and that you may love the Lord your God, listen to his voice and hold fast to him. For the Lord is your life and he will give you many years in the land he swore to give your fathers Abraham, Isaac and Jacob. And they did have some years in the land too. But they didn't continue to carry out their side of the covenant. And in verses 10 to 13 of Amos 5, we start to see examples of their sin and rebellion where their hearts went astray from God. In verse 10 we read, You hate the one who reproves in court and despise him who tells the truth. Their justice system had become corrupt. We're familiar with justice systems um, well, corruption taking place, aren't we? As we watch the news and see the Independent Commission Against Corruption uh, bring to our attention how people buy blocks of farming land, you know, under parliamentary knowledge and privilege and sell them to mining companies. And there's a list, there's a long list. It'd take too long to go through all those things right now. But we're familiar with the idea that corruption can take place. And the problem was during Amos's time, uh, there was a ten com- the ninth commandment said, you know, don't bear false testimony. And in their courts at the, at the city gate, uh, they had a responsibility to hear cases out, uh, to find out who was the, the party that was the right one, who was righteous, and the party who was uh, wicked. And when the judges discovered these things, they could exercise justice. Uh, they could vindicate uh, the innocent and condemn the guilty. But the problem was there were some people in this golden age who'd um, grown wealthy and had started to be able to have an impact on the justice system. And there were people who were weak, who uh, got the raw end of the deal. We'll find out a little bit more. Let's have a look at verse 11 through to 13. You trample on the poor and force him to give you grain. Well, here the idea is that the poor uh, started to get sold for trivial things. If they couldn't pay even a small debt, they got sold into slavery. We're told they sell the poor for a pair of sandals. Uh, But once they took their land, they then got some rent from the poor. They got some corn or some other grain, and the poor had to pay this exorbitant rent. And so these rich people are exploiting them. We're told, therefore, though you have built stone mansions, you will not live in them. Though you've planted lush vineyards, you will not drink their wine. For I know how many are your offences and how great your sins. You oppress the righteous and take bribes, and you deprive the poor of justice in the courts. Therefore the prudent man keeps quiet in such times, for the times are evil. They, uh, they might have had some righteous people who lived in Israel at the time that were speaking up about these things, but they hated those people. The powerful, the rich and powerful, seemed to line them up uh, and, and oppress them. And so the smart people just didn't open their mouth. 
but the problem was the whole situation was uh, rotten. It's, it's numerous. It says, I know how many are your offences and how great your sins. There's a lot of problems happening in Israel at this time. Many people became poor, while others grew wealthy and powerful and used their wealth to mistreat the poor while they enjoyed luxuries, like houses built with the same kind of stones that king's palaces were made out of. Well, God still loves justice, and the take-home message for us is to see something of his character here, that he wants us to be people who carry out justice as well. We're called to love Jesus as our Lord and Saviour and to love our neighbour as ourself. As we read through the book of James, we're reading it in Bible study at the moment in the group that I'm part of. Uh, we read about how we shouldn't be treating people with partiality. Uh, if somebody comes into our assembly, even though they might not be wearing the greatest clothes, we should still be treating them as though they're dignified, made in the image of God and valuable. We should be looking after all kinds of people. Back in Amos's time, justice wasn't being done. But soon it would be, and the tables would turn on these people who had made these houses but weren't caring for the poor. They would experience the irony that they wouldn't live in those places. And yet there is a, a message or a challenge for them to, even now, turn back to God and to repent from their sin. We see that in verse 14. Seek good, not evil, that you may live. Then the Lord God Almighty will be with you, just as you say he is. They're conscious that God's with them. They think they're all safe. And they're saying God's with us. But he's saying, look, you've got to make a change. Verse 15. Hate evil, love good, maintain justice in the courts. Perhaps the Lord God Almighty will have mercy on the remnant of Joseph. We're familiar with the remnant idea from the time of Elijah, where Elijah thought he was the only one of God's people left, and God says, no, I've reserved 7,000 people who haven't bowed the knee to Baal. And God's saying he, he might have a, exercise mercy on his remnant the group of people that do respond in faith to God. The point is that even though the nation is rolling towards the cliff's edge, individuals can still hear this prophecy. They've still got opportunity to repent for their sins and to turn back in faith to God and entrust themselves to God even in the face of destruction. Because God is going to visit the nation. In verse 16 and 17 we read, Therefore, this is what the Lord, the, God, the Lord God Almighty says. There will be wailing in all the streets and cries of anguish in every public square. The farmers will be summoned to weep and the mourners to wail. There'll be wailing in the vineyards, for I will pass through your midst. In the past, the idea that God will pass through their midst reminds us of the Passover when they were leaving Egypt God passed over the places that had the blood of the lamb on the door frames and on the lintel and destroyed those who didn't. In this scenario, Amos reminds us that God's not going to pass over. He's going to uh, visit judgment instead and there's going to be uh, a lot of people destroyed. Although the name is not mentioned in the book of Amos, it's the Assyrian army which comes later and carries out this destruction. 
Tiglath-Pileser III was the first of the Assyrians. Then came Shalmaneser V and then later Sennacherib. Uh, we can read about them in 2 Kings. It's a historical document. Chapter 15, 29 says, In the time of Pekah, king of Israel, Tiglath-Pileser, king of Assyria, came and took a number of cities, including Gilead, Galilee, including all the land of Naphtali, and deported the people to Assyria. Later came Shalmaneser, king of Assyria, in 2 Kings 17. He came and attacked King Hoshea. Hoshea had sought to make an ally with a king of Egypt called So. He didn't pay any more tribute, which was gold, to the Assyrian king Shalmaneser. And then Shalmaneser seized him and put him in prison. Verse 5 reads, The king of Assyria invaded the entire land, marched against Samaria and laid siege to it for three years. In the ninth year of King Hoshea, the king of Assyria captured Samaria and deported the Israelites to Assyria. He settled them in Halah, Gozen, on the river, Harbour River and in the towns of the Medes. And so the axe falls on Israel in 722 BC uh, as Israel and Samaria get exiled and then later those places get repopulated. And yet in this book, although we're seeing something of God's covenant curses towards his unfaithful people who walked away from him and rebelled, there's still a message of hope at the end of this book of Amos. In verses 11 through to 15, we read about a new Davidic kingdom where David's throne will be raised again. There'll be a renewed creation uh, with exceedingly abundant blessing once again. And God's people will be replanted in God's place. And it won't be simply the, the Jews, the Israelites, uh, it'll include all kinds of people, even the Edomites. In Acts chapter 15, when the Council of Jerusalem saw that there were people who weren't Jewish becoming Christians, when uh, they saw that those people, the Gentiles, had started to receive the Holy Spirit, uh, James, in Acts chapter 15, realised that this new age had started to dawn in the coming ministry of Jesus. Jesus had been risen. His throne was uh, at the right hand of God. And from there, he poured out the Holy Spirit onto all kinds of people, Jews and Gentiles. And this new day had dawned where there would be a complete renewal of God's creation and an opportunity for people to live blessed by God in his place once again. And so this message of hope, of restoration at the end of the ages uh, begins in the ministry of Jesus and it will be completed at the end when Jesus returns again. And so we too enjoy a message of hope. Even though that uh, we're of the same species, we're, we're people who sin uh, just as those Israelites sin as well. The good news for us is that Jesus didn't. He was the faithful covenant member. He carries out God's will. He always lived God's way. He fulfills God's covenant on our behalf. And we're united to him through faith. The new age has dawned in the ministry of Jesus. 
and all kinds of people can be counted as members of God's people now if they have their trust in him. If they rely on him and his perfect sacrifice for their sins. And the challenge remains for those people to continue with their hope in the gospel, to continue uh, firmly with their faith in Christ until the end and to persevere as God's people to the end. And the challenge for us this morning is to see something of the character of God and how sin matters and for us to continue to turn away from sin and to continue with our trust in Jesus as our Lord and Saviour and look forward to the time when we will experience life in God's kingdom in that new renewed creation at the end. Well, may God help us to be those people who learn the lessons of the Israelites who rejected God and walked away, but to be those who stand firm, not moved from our hope held out in Christ. Let us pray. Lord, we thank you that um, we can see something of your salvation history, of your goodness to your people who love you and hold on to you. Lord, we thank you that you've provided a means for us to come to know you, to experience the forgiveness of sins and your grace and mercy. Lord, we do thank you for Jesus who was faithful in his life, that he, uh, he was the faithful Israelite and that he was also the perfect sacrifice for our sakes, that he laid down his life willingly, that we might experience your forgiveness, that he bore your sin so that we didn't have to. Lord, that uh, we, we have a saviour in Christ. Lord, we thank you that uh, Jesus changes hearts, that he pours out your spirit into all kinds of people, even Gentiles like us. Lord, we thank you that we receive your gift of new life through tr- trusting in what Jesus has done for us. Lord, please help us to hold on to him as Lord and Saviour, to walk closely with you, Uh, and to persevere and stand the test of time as your people. We thank you for this day now that we've been encouraged to take sin seriously, uh, not to uh, indulge in it or have a a licence to sin, but Lord, help us to continue to put to death sin and remain firm with our hope uh, in Christ and what he's done for us. We thank you for this day and the assurance of salvation that we enjoy through Jesus, our Lord and Saviour. We pray in his name. Amen.